Continuing in the Great Escape. Now, we've been in the Great Escape. This is our 56th message. Brother Day Charles is like, you realize that we've been in, in Exodus for over a year, Pastor? I was like, yep, and we're going to be in there for a whole lot longer, so y'all just hang on. we got a ways to go. <laughs> There's 40 chapters. i got a lot to go. It's going to take us a while. So we just praise the Lord for what he's done. And I know that the Great Escape has been wonderful for me. It's been a tremendous opportunity just to really understand so much more of God's depth and beauty of what he has in store for us. So last week in our message, Hallowed by God, um, we examined more of the ceremonial works of Aaron and his sons as they were preparing the priests for their roles, right? While at the same time, we came to the realization that that sanctification process and what they did, oh, yeah, they had plenty of works, but what it came down to was the fact that it was not until God applied his glory that they could be sanctified. So no matter what their works were, it didn't matter until God did his part, they could never be sanctified. You and I are not holy. We borrow holiness from the Lord. This morning, we're going to pick back up in the instructions of Moses as he's up on Mount Sinai. And it's going to be now, we're going to be moving back into the tabernacle. That's where we're going to be going now. And as we move back into the tabernacle, we're going to be looking at a very specific piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Not only why it's important to them, but also why it's important for us as well and how it applies to us on a ceremonial level and on a spiritual level as well. The message today is called A Sweet Odor Unto God with a Question Mark. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for blessing us today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for those that are here. Uh, Father, they've never been here before. We thank you so much for that. And Lord, you know that my heart and my desire, God, this week and uh, this morning is, uh, Lord, that I disappear. Uh, Lord, I have asked you to speak to me, and I'm confident that you have. And I would ask now that you would speak through me, that, uh, Lord, I not share what I would choose, but the very things that you would choose. And Lord, if there's things in my notes that are not intended to be preached today, God, I pray that you'll remove them. Lord, show me exactly what to do and help me to do what you want done. Not me, Lord. Remove me from this, and Lord, help us, help us to hear directly from you. Help us to have ears to hear that we might receive, and Lord, help us to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So give us a little bit of review of kind of where we were last week. Now, I started last week when we finished our message. I gave you guys a challenge, right? You guys remember that? Who remembers our challenge? Like a third of you. Great. The rest of you are not even paying attention to the challenge. Come on. So I gave you that challenge, and that challenge was for the next seven days, right, we were going to spend every day, we were going to start our day with God, and we were going to finish our day with God, right? How many of you guys did that? Amen. How did it feel? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Let's keep it going, because guess what? There's another seven days coming up. And if we keep doing this, man, we're working on our relationship with God. But what was neat, by doing that seven-day challenge and applying that simple principle, it allows us to apply the other principles that we taught last week, which the first one was talking about the fact that it was essential for us to have a proper view of God. We need to see God for who he really is, not for a humanistic view of him, but understanding that God is holy and that God is to be reverenced and God is to be feared and the fact that God is a great and glorious God. He's our creator, man, and we have to honor him for who he is. Secondly, we talked about the fact of having God in a proper priority in our life, right? So many times God's priority sometimes is below our job or maybe below our families. Jesus, the Lord, should always be number one. It should go God, then your spouse, then your family, and then your work. And then third, we talked about the idea of allowing influences into our lives, being careful of what we allow in our heads, in our eyes, in our mouths. Be careful of what we allow to be the influences in us because those things can directly relate to who we are. So we're to surround ourselves with godly influences. So now we're going to shift, as I said, over to Exodus or Exodus chapter number 30, verses 1 through 10. Verse, Exodus 30, verse 1 says this, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood, and, the, and uh, shalt thou make it. Now, shittim wood, just so you know, 
that's believed to be acacia wood. Okay, that's what we believe. It's a very, uh, it's a dense hardwood. It's actually very prevalent in Arabia in that area. And what's really interesting about it is actually today, if you were going to compare it to a wood that you and I would know, it'd be something like teak, teak wood. They use it to make furniture. It's sturdy. It's strong. It's pretty lightweight. So this and all the other instruments that we've noticed, every one of the ones before this would have been the ark, it would have been even the columns of the tabernacle, would have been the, the showbread table. Each one was all made from this same wood, right? And that wood, we noticed from the past as we studied it, it represented the corruptible aspect of humanity because it is something that would degrade. Wood over a period of time degrades. And we're going to look at how that compares into our message as we work our way in. Verse 2 says this, A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall it be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. Remember we talked about what it was a cubit. A cubit is basically about this length, 18 inches. So we're talking about an 18-inch square, and it's going to be about three feet tall. So this piece of furniture is about three feet tall, about 18 inches square. And then we're going to see here it's going to be covered in gold. Verse 3, it says, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Okay? So what's pictured here, we talked about this before, is the fact that we had that element of the wood, which represents the corruptible, corruptible nature of humanity. That's the earthly part. And then we talk about the gold. Now, overlaying it with gold, that's combining. So we're taking the unrighteousness of man or humanity, and we're covering it with the righteousness of God. This is a combination of the two. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says this, And as we have borne the image of the earthly, our flesh, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So we're seeing this scripture right here explained and actually shown to us. Remember when we talk about the Old Testament New Testament? The New Testament teaches principles in word. The Old Testament teaches it in picture. So here we see a picture of this same concept where the wood is actually being covered with the gold. We get a visual to tie it together. Verse 4, And two golden rings shalt thou make, it, uh, make to it under the crown of it. The two corners thereof upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, they, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. I have a picture of what this thing kind of looks like. This is a representation. So we can see these are the rings that it's talking about here, right? And those rings were for the poles. When it talks about the staves, those are the poles they slide in place so they can pick it up, right? So the golden rings, we understand that those golden rings are representative of eternity and the fact that those aspects of what they do is they represent an eternal ring that talks about that eternal concept. But then the other thing is those are where that, those staves are going to slide in. It's all about transporting these pieces of furniture. What we've noticed is each one that we've seen, they've all had these places to be carried by the staves. And the reason being is because these priests were not supposed to touch these pieces of furniture. God says he'll actually kill them if they'll touch them. Once these things are created, they are to be consecrated and set apart. They're not to be touched by human hands. These priests would move them by the poles. The entire structure, everything that you're going to see, the tabernacle they're going to, that, that God's instructing them, is all designed to be mobile. It is a transportable thing. It'll be broken down. It'll be reset back up, right? So every part of this whole thing and the entire design is all about designing this, perm, this, this temporary structure. And then one day, What's going to happen is David, who's going to want to build the temple, God's not going to allow him to, but he's going to allow his son, King Solomon. And Solomon's going to spend seven years, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to build that permanent temple, and that will be the same one. And this very same piece of furniture that's going to be coated, carted around everywhere, guess what? It's going to go into that permanent temple. So, verse number five. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. So the poles here, they're to bear the weight of this specific piece of furniture as it's moved. Every piece is going to be moved this way. The priests would die if they touched them, right? And listen to the additional information. We're going to look at Numbers uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. 
Numbers chapter 4, verses 15, 20. This gives us a little bit more information about these pieces of furniture and a little bit more detail about them. It says, and when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to be set, is to set forward. What he's saying, look, as these things have been broken down and as we're taking everything apart, they're going to wrap these pieces of furniture up because we're getting ready to set. They're going to break camp. They're going to move forward. Okay. So here it says, and after that, uh, and after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. And to the office of Eleazar, right? This is another one of the, uh, of the priest groups. The son of Aaron, the priest pertaineth to the oil, to, pertaineth the oil for the light and the, and, the, and the sweet incense and the daily meat offerings and the anointing of the oil and the oversight of all the tabernacle of all that therein is in the sanctuary and the vessels thereof. So different priests had different roles and different duties. And these sons of Eleazar, they're going to be ones that are in charge kind of running everything and keeping track of all the way that the, the, the tabernacle is going to function. They're going to do all the, the details with the, the specific furnitures. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said unto Aaron, Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. He says, look, the, Kohath, the Kohathites are important as well. Now, they may not be the ones that are going to be organizing and running everything, but they're still important. It says, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die. So look, to protect them, when they approach unto the most holy things, these pieces of furniture, this one being one, one in particular, and Aaron and his son shall go in and, and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden. So, they, so what's going to happen is, here with, uh, his name's Eleazar. Eleazar is going to basically say, look, we're going to get everything prepped and ready. When it's time to move, we're going to bring the Kohathites in. They're going to bring in the staves. We're going to tell them, this is, you guys are going to get this piece of furniture. You're getting this piece of furniture. You're getting this piece of furniture. Everybody grab your stuff. You're going to pick it up and move, right? And the last verse is this, but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. They're not even allowed to look at these things. In fact, they're not allowed to touch them or look at them at all. Their job is literally to bear the burden and carry them, right? So these descendants of Kohath, or these, these are the Kohathites, they're the descendants of Kohath, they're going to be responsible for carrying the instruments. That is their sole duty. They're not allowed to touch, they're not allowed to, to look at, they're not allowed to do anything except for do that. And some of us look at that and we go, man, that's kind of stinks. All they do is that. That's just their only job. Because if us, we'd be like, man, that's like, I'm just a laborer. Man, I'm just... You know, when it comes to the things of God, my job, I'm just the guy that comes in, come on like a mule. I'm going to carry the, carry the stuff. That's my job. I don't get to do any of the cool things. I don't get to polish anything or burn any incense or do that kind of stuff. And see, because what happens in, in the house of God or in the things of God, many of us believe there are important jobs and then there are unimportant jobs, right? So some people are like, man, oh, you're preaching and teaching. That's, that's, that's important. God's like, oh, yeah. But then like, well, you know, I, all I do is I just work in the nursery. You know, I mean, I just put out chairs. You know, I mean, I take care of the kids a little bit. I take out the trash. But what I do is not important. But see, it's not the job that matters to God. It's the heart behind the job. If you're doing it, why are we doing what we do? Right. right? If we're preaching, if I'm preaching to be seen of you, and you guys go, wow, you're awesome. Guess what? I may as well be not doing anything. I'm actually hurting my walk with God. The whole goal is that we're not doing what we do because we're trying to get something out of it for ourselves. We're doing it for the fact that God receives glory. That's why we're here. And the problem is because of the way we think and because of the people that we are, we're selfish and we think about ourselves and constantly, for whatever reason, we believe the world revolves around us. And God's trying to tell us that's not the case. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse 23 says this, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord 
and not unto men. He says, you're not doing what you do for the sake that men are going to see it. You're doing it because God sees it. So if your job is you're going to take out the trash, you don't need to be like, I hope somebody sees me taking out the trash. You need to be like, you know what? Hey, man, I'm taking out the trash for the glory of God. That's why we're here. Verse 24 says this, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve, this is important, ye serve the Lord Christ. Right? we got to remember why it is that we serve. And more importantly, who it is that we serve. If you're doing something here so that you're, gonna, you're doing it for me, don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want you to waste your time. I'd rather do it myself. If you're doing it so you're going to get some kind of recognition or some little pat on the back, man, great, great job, great job, great job. Man, we're, we're, we're in the wrong mindset. The goal is here that we're all servants. We're all on the same plane. We're all a bunch of sinners that deserve hell, but because of God's grace, we get to be used by the Lord. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. He receives the glory. It's not about us. You guys okay this morning? I feel like y'all all go a little shell shot. Everybody's like, all right. <laughs> I promise I'm not going to be mean to y'all. I promise. This is, this is good stuff. This is good stuff, right? So these chosen priests, right, they're going to serve the Most High God. And what was interesting is I thought, you know, I was like, I was like the word, that's that little phrase, servant of God. I was like, I wonder how many times that shows up in the Bible. Turns out servant of God shows up 101 times. Servant of the Lord shows up 196 times. The servant, servant of Christ shows up 12 times. That's 309 times about us being a servant to the Lord. Not a servant to man, not a servant to one another, a servant to God. Now, if I serve you, I'm not doing it because I want to serve you. I'm doing it because I'm trying to serve the Lord. By me being kind and being compassionate and being loving, I'm serving God because guess what? It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what it comes down to. It's all about Him receiving glory. Verse 6, it says, And thou shalt put it, put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Remember we talked about the layout of the tabernacle. I'm going to bring that picture back in. So here's the main. This is the holy place, and this is the most holy. This is where the ark of the covenant is. And this is what we're talking about right here, this incense. It's supposed to be set right outside of the veil between the two, okay? Reason being, and we're going to see why it's there and what its location purpose is, but it's important, the fact that it's there, so that what's going to happen now, this sacred incense, as it's being burned, guess what that altar is going to do? Those ingredients, that smell is going to waft up into that area. And God's very specific in those instructions on exactly what it is those incense are going to be made out of. Verse number seven says this, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, where, and he says, when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. So every morning when the priest comes in, he's going to walk in the door, he's going to go tend the lights, and as he comes in, he's going to go make sure to go to those incense, and he's going to make sure that he refreshes that incense and make sure that's continually burning. They're going to do the exact same thing at night. They want to get it going 24 hours a day. And what's interesting is the fact that there's a very specific recipe, specific, yeah, that's the word, specific recipe, that came out sounding weird, um, verse, and then this chapter 30 but down in 34 and 36, verses 34 through 36, tells us a recipe for the actual incense that they are to burn. It says in verse 34, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacked, which is actually a resin, a tree resin, and this stuff called onicha. And onicha was actually made from shellfish that are found in the Red Sea. There's a little cusp that they would cut off and they would grind it up. And there's something called galbunum. And galbunum is very similar to parsley, Okay. And these, and it says, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. So it's saying, look, you're going to take equal amounts 
of these ingredients, and you're going to go and put them together. Verse 35 says this, And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the part of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. Verse 36, And thou shalt bear some, thou shalt beat some of it, very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto you most holy. Okay? So he gives a very specific ingredients. This is what this incense is going to be. So when it burns, it's going to have a very specific smell exactly as God designed it. It's according to his recipe, according to his will. Okay? That's an important thing to remember. According to it's, a re it's his recipe, and it's according to his will. Now, as a side note, what's interesting is you keep noticing that this, this phrase, most holy, will show up again and again and again. Most holy is going to be inside of the tabernacle, but what we see there is the fact that what's almost like God saying, look, this is really important so much, I want it right up against the veil, because realistically, I'd like to have it in the most holy, but because it's got to be tended on a regular basis that can't be in there, because you're only going to go inside the most holy one time per year. Side note there. All right, but, so what the whole goal is this sweet-smelling smoke would be filling this entire area. It's going to fill up the holy place, and it's also going to waft over, and it's going to be in the most holy. So this room is going to have this cloud of incense 24 hours a day floating amongst the people. And what's significant about the smoke is it represents something. It represents something more than just a sweet smell. It wasn't just there for the pleasant aspect of it or the fact that they would go, oh, it smells good. It actually has a purpose. And we're going to look at what the Bible tells us it means. Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2 says this, Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer, my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we see a reference here of incense and prayer. Revelations 5.8 says this, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Now this is actually talking about falling down before the Lamb, but falling down before the Lord in heaven, okay? And it says, Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Prayers of the saints. Guess who the saints are? That's us. Right? So that's our prayers. They're a sweet odor. Right? So we see them as a saints, as an odor. Then Revelations 8, 3 and 4 says this. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. That's where you burn incense. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. That's a, that's a picture, remember? Everything in heaven is going to be pictured in this tabernacle. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So the smoke ascends up before God. It's a picture, right? The Bible clearly reveals that the smoke from the incense before the veil is symbolically the prayers of God's people, man. Keep in mind, this is all about a pattern. Everything we're seeing in the tabernacle, remember, it is designed. It's a model of what exists already in heaven. Right? So everything we're seeing is being mimicked here. That means that if this design here is to fill the holy place with the smoke of the incense, that in heaven the prayers of God's people, guess what? They're filling the chambers of God. As you and I pray, that wafts up to God. And it's a sweet smell in the nostrils of the Lord as we're praying unto Him. He wants to hear our prayers. Listen to this. Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2 says this, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. He's saying, look, the one, the tabernacle they're going to build, right? It says, that's not the real one. That's a model. He says, because it says, this one, 
pitched by uh, this, the Lord pitched and not man. Verse five says this, who serve unto the example, remember it's an example, a shadow of heavenly things. The tabernacle is a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was set about to make, uh, to make the tabernacle, for see that, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mountain. So God says, look, I've shown you. I know heaven already. I'm going to give you a pattern, a pattern, a picture, or a design that you're going to mimic on earth. So when I come down, it's going to be just like it is in heaven. So this, this little incense altar that's sitting outside the veil is very important. And this continual smoke is very, very key. So what we see in this passage is the prayers are rising up. as a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 13. Then shall ye call unto me. Call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, God says. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Right? God wants us to call out to him. He wants us to communicate with him. He wants our heart to be broken before him, right? When we honestly come and earnestly come to God with prayers, he hears us. Not only does he hear us, but he cares about our concerns. The other thing that's more beautiful than that is the fact that he answers our prayer. He hears it, he cares about it, and he answers it. It's awesome. 1 John, verse 5, verse 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Remember, we talked about the recipe, right? That recipe of that incense was according to God's will. It was his design, right? Not ours. Verse 15, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him, right? It may not always be answered the way that we want it to, right? But I can assure you it will be answered. The problem is we always have a preconceived notion of what we believe the answer should be. God, I know what you should answer. And as if God's a genie, you're going to you know, rub the magic lamp. God, take care of this. Boom. Do it, do it according to what I want to be done, according to the timeline that I want things to happen. We would never choose illness for anyone in our life. We would never choose tragedy in anyone that in anyone's life, right? But I can tell you, tragedy is one of the most important things God's used in my life to bring me to Him. And if you think about it in your life, you don't draw to God when things are going great. You draw to God when things are not going well. And all of us want to have people be people of great faith. Man, I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God. But yet we don't want to deal with tragedy. But it's the tragedy, it's those moments when you find yourself on your knees because you've got nowhere to go that God says, hey, man, I've been waiting on you. And what he's got to do is knock our pride out of the way because we think he can do everything the way we want it done. God's recipe, according to his will, it's what's best. Verse 8, and when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So what he's saying is, look, these things are going to burn 24 hours a day all the time. And what it's doing is it's showing us a picture of a 24-hour access to God. As you pray, guess what? It isn't like God's sleeping at certain times. He's like, ah, I got do not disturb zone. I don't want to hear anything. 24 hours, man. God is listening. He cares, man. Always listening, always caring, right? Always listening, always caring. First Thessalonians 5, 17 says this. Pray without ceasing, right? And that's a short little verse, but it speaks a volume, speaks so much. That concept, pray without ceasing, people go, well, I don't think I understand that. You're saying I've got to be always praying all day long? Lord, I've got to drive. Lord, it's not talking about 24 hours of praying. That's not what it's talking about. Pray without ceasing. What it's talking about is really communication, right? Being in a continuous state of prayer. 
right? It's kind of like this, if I give you an example. In a relationship, right? In a relationship, let's say that Carly and I, we're gonna spend time together. Every time I spend Carly, see Carly, do I need to go, Carly L. Sasser, nice to meet you. David Goodson, um, I just wanna formally thank you for all that you've done. I wanna tell you that I appreciate you. And Am I gonna go through a formal greeting every time I see her? Because I already have a relationship with her, don't I? Can I just be like, what's up Carly, right? I've got a continuous communication with my kids, right? We're riding in the car. My kids don't have to go, dear father, I realize that we're in the vehicle and father, you are, I'm to reverence you and I do reverence you, father. And I do want to tell you that I must use the restroom, father. Is that what they do? I got to pee, daddy, I got to pee, right? They're just going to say it, right? That's just what's going to happen. Because there's, a, there's an intimacy there. There's a communication that's already established. I don't have to go restart every time, right? And that's the thing with us. If you have a relationship with God and you're walking with him, guess what? That intimacy is there. You can open your heart, your mind, your thoughts, and you can just, boom, God's there, man. It isn't like there's any kind of distance. But what happens is the distance in our relationship with God is not because of God. It's because of us. The intimacy gets affected because you and I step away from the Lord. We allow things to come into our lives. Because we think about this, the relationship can be strained. If we go back to that child example, well, if my child decides that they're going to do things according to their will and on their timeline, and they're no longer going to honor their family, and they're going to go off on their own and do their own thing, well, guess what? They can become estranged from their parents. Not because the parents did anything wrong, but because they say, look, I want it my way, right? How many of us did that? Maybe we were younger. Yeah, wow, it's amazing how many of us do that stupidest thing. So we're just so crazy. But we do. But what happens in that situation, in that situation, the parents are waiting on the child. And the child's got to be willing to come back and say, you know what? I want to reestablish things. And guess what? At that point in time, it may take a little bit of a formal introduction. We may need to reestablish that relationship a little bit and create that intimacy once more. And that's exactly the way it is with us and God. Because we may be born again. You may be a child of God. And man, you may have been walking with God at certain times in your life. But you may have gotten become, become, become estranged. And you may have affected your relationship and you may have gotten far away, but the good news is God's saying, hey, look, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm waiting on you. Come back and let's get this thing restored, right? Amen. How many of us have had it reintroduce ourselves to God because we broke relationship? Amen. A lot of us are here as a testimony of the fact that God is faithful and the fact that we broke our relationship. We walked away from him. And whenever we turned and we looked for him, guess who was waiting with us with open arms? Not going, you don't deserve my love. That's true, we don't. But that's why God gives, what's, gives us what's called grace, right? We create issues in our relationships. As believers, we have an eternal relationship with our creator. And even though we may have interrupted it, that line of communication, guess what? He's always ready, willing, and able to reestablish it, right? And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you had a relationship, but it's become broken. Maybe you've stepped away. Maybe you've gotten caught up in something. Maybe sin or laziness or whatever it is. But you notice that your relationship is not like it used to be. You don't have that sense of connection with God. You deal with adversity in your life and you feel alone. What I want you to know is when you're walking with God, you don't feel alone. You feel a presence with you. You feel peace with you. And if you're here today and you feel that sense of like, you know, I feel separated, I feel isolated. Well, guess what? It's not because God's not ready for you. He's ready, willing, and able at this very moment to establish that relationship because he says, look, I'm waiting on you. I want to be there for you. Ready to reconnect. 
Verse 9. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. He says, look, this altar has one purpose and one purpose only. This isn't a multi-purpose deal. This is not for you to come and do different things to. It is specifically designed for one thing, which is according to God's recipe for that incense to be burned. It's according to his will. There is no provision for other incense. There's no other formulas, no other recipes that are allowed to be, born, to be, built, to be brought there. No matter how well-crafted they may be, how wonderful they may smell, because God says you're to burn one and one only according to my design, according to my will. God's intention for prayer, right, is the fact that that bottom line is going to be our way of connecting with him with an open heart. This right here, no matter how sincere our prayers are, if it's not according to God's will, they're not to be received. No matter how sincere the prayer of a lost person is, no matter how desperately they may desire for God to answer that prayer, if it's not according to God's will, guess what? It won't be answered. It won't be answered. God is bottom line there for us. He wants to align our hearts with his. It's not about this being a 24-hour helpline. It's not about being a 24-hour delivery service. Because some people treat God like, hey, man, you know, I need this, I need this, I need this. Or God, I'm only going to call you when I'm in desperate trouble. I find myself in, in, a, in an emergency, and I need you to get me out of this mess. Now, does God want to help? Absolutely. Does God want to provide? Absolutely. The problem is, most times, we do it according to our will, not according to his will. The point is, God's saying, look, he's got a plan and a purpose for our lives, and if it's according to his will, he will answer it. Remember, it's his recipe, not ours. John 14, verses 12 through 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, this is people of faith, your born-again child, the works that I do shall, shall, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that means according to my will, that will, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Pay attention to that last part. Why is he going to answer the prayer that the Father may be glorified in the Son? It's not about us being happy. It's not about providing what it is that we want. It's about God receiving glory in my name. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Say, look, live according to my will and not your own. You'll be amazed what your prayer life will be like. It will amaze you what you'll see done. And what's amazing about this is the fact that we hear this and we go, wow, you know what? I can do this. I can pray and God can do great things. But what it also reveals to us is that we can pray wrong. You can pray in the wrong way. We absolutely can. James 4 verses 1 through 3 says this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? even of your lust, that war in your members. See, you're dealing with all these issues of the world, strife and struggles. Verse two, ye lust and have not, desire for things, you want things, but you don't have them. And he says, and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Here you are in the midst of struggles. You have all these desires and all these things that you want. And the problem is you're so wrapped up in yourself that you don't even ask me. You don't even pray. Then verse three, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. He says, ye ask wrong, right? That ye may consume it upon your lusts. You're asking for yourself, for your own selfish reasons, for your own selfish purposes. God's saying, it's not according to my will. This is according to your will. As a good parent, a good parent does not give their child what they want, right? Just because they want it. If you do that, you're not loving your kids. You're actually 
doing the opposite. Our job is to know what our children need. If our child wants to eat chocolate cake for breakfast every morning, that's what they want. And they're not joking. It isn't like they're like, I'm not sure I want it. They want it. If you gave that as an option, do you think they'd take it? Heck yeah, man, every morning. Give me a quarter of a cake. Mom, slap it down. Let's chow down. Right? That's what they would eat. As a parent, we don't do that because that's what they want, but we know it's not what's best for them. Right? That's God. Because he sees your future. He sees the interaction of how your life is going to interact with other people. He sees what purposes he can use you for and how your life, like a web, each one intricately interlaces with someone else's. And God's trying to use your life for his glory. Remember, that's what this is about. And so what he's saying, look, sometimes I'm not going to answer it the way you want, right? There are three answers to prayer. There's yes, there's no, and there's wait. And you know what? We've got to be willing to wait on God. James 4, 4, look at this. It says, ye adulterers. So we went verse 1, 2, and 3. We see here, he goes, look, you ask him this. Verse 4, he says this, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He says, look, you are unfaithful believers. Your heart's not given to me. Your heart's given to the world. You're, you're focused on other things. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? He says, do you not realize that when you want to be with the world, that friendship there makes you actually totally against me? And then he goes even further. Where it says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He says, you want the world so bad and you want the things of the world and that's what you're praying for and I don't allow you to have those things and you're frustrated at me. I'm trying to protect you. Do you not realize I don't want you to be my enemy? I want you to be my child. I want to walk with you and bless you. See, because God loves us, he answers prayers according to what's best for us and according to his will. And like we said, it's yes, no, and wait. The problem is we've got to be willing to learn to accept each answer. Because when it's yes, man, that's easy. Oh, yeah. Answer prayer. Woohoo! Yay! No? Uh, that's hard. But wait. How many of y'all struggle with the wait? Man, that's a hard one. Because we want things. God, you don't realize. Do you not realize what's coming up, Lord? Do you not see the future? He's like, uh, yeah, I got it. See it. No problem. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. Trust me. That's what it comes down to. Verse 10. And this is our last verse. We're getting there. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So we see this beautiful symbol of our connection to God, right? And it's referred to again and again as most holy, right? Prayer is the most amazing gift that God has given us in our Christian life. We have been given this incredible power, yet most of us don't use it, or when we do use it, we unfortunately abuse it. Prayer is about communing our heart with God's, right? Loving what he loves and hating what he hates. If there are things in your life that you know God does not like and you want them in your life, your relationship with God is wrong. And your prayer life is going to be of no use. You're going to be praying and it's going to be bouncing off the roof, man. God wants you praying according to his will. And you know it's in your life and you know you should not have it in your life, yet you continue to keep it there. You are in opposition to the Lord. When our hearts are aligned with his, the power of prayer comes to life. We begin to see the impossible become impossible as God's power starts to break forth in your life because all of a sudden now what's happening is you've lined up with him. His desires are your desires. And man, oh man, God's behind you 100% and he's making things happen. How many of you guys have seen your life sometimes when you, get, when you just get 
your life gets focused. You get right with the Lord, and you just, you know, it just seems like prayers are just being answered, and your life just starts to, I mean, it just becomes explosive and amazing, and all of a sudden you start praying these prayers that are outrageous, thinking, you know what? God can do this. God can do this. He, I know He can do this. I, it might sound crazy, but He can do it. Because guess what? He's not limited. He's limited by our lack of faith, right? And so here we are, these people of faith. We're supposed to be trusting and believing God. We're supposed to be praying to Him and going to Him with these great concerns. And what I'm going to share with you is there's a king, there's a story in 2 Chronicles, chapter number 26, of a young man who, who became a king when he was 16 years old. At 16 years old, he became the king of Israel. And what happened was, he, man, he did great in the beginning. His name was Uzziah. And Uzziah, man, I'm telling you, when he got started, the Bible says he was doing things that were right in the sight of the Lord. He was following God. He was honoring the Lord. And what happened was God started blessing him, man. Not only did the, did the kingdom do incredibly well, but it started flourishing. And he was starting great victories, military victories. He started developing all these new technologies. I mean, he was really just an innovative, really neat guy. And as things really started taking off in his life, right, he started believing his own press. And he started thinking, man, you know what? Look how good I'm doing. Look at the things I've invented. Look at the, look at the prosperity of our kingdom. I mean, Uzziah's kicking it. I got this thing going on. Look at who I've become. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at me. And what happened was he stopped allowing God to be his guide. And he stopped seeking the glory for God. And he started allowing himself to be the guide. And he started seeking glory for himself, right? So there's a formula. He has a recipe of his own, right? And what's interesting, King Uzziah is actually going to decide that he's going to go to the temple. And the thing is, the priests were the ones. Remember, we, all this time we've been studying the priests. They're consecrated, set aside for the purposes of God's work. Well, guess what? The priests were the ones that were supposed to burn that incense, that specific incense on that specific altar, and no one else. And what happens is King Uzziah says, you know what? I'm going down to the temple myself, and I'm going to bring my own incense. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to burn them on the altar. Because you know what? I am the king. I'm better than these priests. These men work for me. I'm in charge. And he walks on down, man. Let's see what happens. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he was strong in his heart, he was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense, the same little altar we've been talking about. And Azariah, the priest, went in after him. And with him, four score priests of the Lord that were valiant men. Eighty men, these 80 priests, man, they run in, whoosh, like an army kind of thing. And they're standing against their king. When it says valiant men, it's because their king, man, he could say, look, kill them all. But they risk their lives and they stand against the king in this moment because they know what they're supposed to do. It says, Azariah, Azariah the priest uh, in the fourth score, and it says, verse 18, and they, and they withstood Uzziah the king. They literally block him as he's trying to get to the altar and said unto him, it appertaineth not unto thee. He says, look, it's not your place, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord. But to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, look, we're set aside for this job. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. You have no reason to be here. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. He says, look, this is not going to turn out well for you. We're just telling you. We know the stipulations that God has, and you're overstepping your bounds, Uzziah. I don't care who you are. Check this out, verse 19. Then Uzziah was wroth. That means he's mad. He's pitching a fit. Now, here we have the man of God intervening to protect him from himself, and here he is angry at them. 
And my question to you is, how many times is there someone in your life who's giving you godly counsel? And instead of you receiving it, you get mad at them, right? You have no idea. You have no right to talk to me this way. You have no right to butt into my life. Get out of here. Don't talk to me. And all they're trying to do is say, hey, look, I'm trying to protect you, right? If I come in your life and I speak something to you, I never want to hurt you. But if I come to you and I talk to you about something that's important, I'm trying to protect you from what God could allow to happen in your life. We're all prone to get pulled into the flesh. We're all prone to make stupid mistakes. We're all prone to be driven by the things of the world. And bottom line is, if someone speaks in your life and they're doing it from God's perspective and they're trying to speak godly truth, listen to them. Listen to them. Listen to this. And had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, here he is in his anger. The leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. That same little altar that we were talking about, standing right beside it. And all of a sudden, leprosy breaks out on his head. That's a death sentence where they live. That's a death sentence. Verse Verse 20, and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they look at this and they thrust him out from thence. But the good news is, guess what? It says, yea, himself hasted also to go. He says, look, I, I, yeah, you're right. I do need to go. I'm out of here, right? Because the Lord had smitten him. He says, oh boy, he realizes, man, I've made a big mistake. Verse 21, and Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house. This means he was in quarantine. He was no longer allowed in the castle. He was no longer to be around anybody. He was set aside in a little shack to live because he was diseased, right? It says, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord and Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land. He's not allowed to even be around his family. He's lost everything. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah first and last did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write in verse 23. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, that means he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings, for they said, and look at this, when it says this, for they said, this is the legacy of Uzziah. For they said, this is what people said of Uzziah. He is a leper. Not he was a great king. Not that he started out right. Not that he revolutionized warfare. Not that he brought great victories. Not that he was an innovator. None of those things. His one thing he's remembered for is he is a leper. It's not how you start this journey as a Christian. It's how you finish it. Amen. That matters. Amen. And you know, it's not easy, man. You're going to deal with adversity. You're going to deal with hard times. You're going to deal with people that may make fun of you or, or who knows whatever else. You may deal with tragedy in your life. But it's not how you start. It's not even how you do it. It's how you finish it, man. What do you do to the end? What will be said of you? Death? Wasted time? Corruption? Or you know what? They were faithful to the end. They didn't have much. But you know what? They loved God. They honored the Lord. They left an impression upon the people that were around them. Not a stench of death from the nostrils to the nostrils, but a stench of life. And it says, And Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. So the odor that King Uzziah wanted to bring before God's throne would not have been a sweet smell to the nostrils of God, because guess what? It was a strange incense. 
an unacceptable incense made up of pride, arrogance, lust, and desire. And because of that, not only was he not received, he was rejected by God. Rejected by God. And at his death, he was not known for his great accomplishments, his military innovations, or even how he had honored God in the beginning. Verse 23, he is a leper. And I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life that I've been a Uzziah, that I've gone to God with strange incense, and I've gone with prayers that were not according to God's will, searching what I want, what I thought should happen, right? And the problem is when you do that, your prayers fall upon deaf ears, man. Our, 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 our prayers fill with, with pride and, and selfish desires, right? And here God's saying, look, you know what? I'm giving you an example, a picture, remember? The Old Testament's a picture book to show us what's happening in today through the New Testament. And the thing is, the corruption that follows. I'm telling you, having been a Uzziah and having prayed like that and had that kind of heart and dishonored God, I've lived with the corruption that comes along with it. And it's no fun. But the good news is that we have a faithful God that loves us, even and when we make mistakes, even when we make those corruptible concepts and we do these things, God still says, look, I'm willing to restore you. The Old Testament is not the New Testament. We live in an age of grace now. God's given us grace. He wants to restore us. And when the relationship's broken because we become this alienated child or we become this estranged child from our father, he says, look, come back. Come back and pray according to my will and watch what I will do. I want to bless you. I want to use you. I want your life to bring me glory. Because understand, if we do it right, God receives glory and everything works as it's supposed to work. When we shift the glory to ourselves, it all falls apart. If we honestly examine our prayers today, would they be formulated of our wants and desires having the stench of death? Or would they be according to God's will? And when they send up to heaven, right? Would they send up a sweet odor unto God. Only you know. Only God knows. We can have a prayer life that's fruitful and powerful, that makes a difference in this world in an incredible way. Or we can waste our time and energy and effort praying upon deaf ears with a strange incense that's not received of God because it's our formula. No matter how well-crafted it may be, if it's not according to his will, it's not received. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today and giving us this beautiful example, uh, Lord, of what we've seen in this incense altar. And God, how our prayers are a sweet odor unto the nostrils of our God. Lord, you want to hear our prayers. You say we have not because we ask not. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. But Lord, help us to be people that pray according to the will of God, seeking what you want not what we want. And Lord, if we will, we will find a balance in our life. We will find such a peace in our life. If we shift out of selfish thinking, if we shift out of short-term thinking and earthly thinking, we think from things from a perspective saying, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. And Lord, I pray according to your will that it be done in my life. God, thank you so much that you are a pure hearing and a pure answering God. Thank you for the power that you've worked in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the realization we can make through the scriptures to see examples like Uzziah that did things all wrong. Help us, Lord, to learn from that mistake. With our heads still bowed and 
eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't know if God hears my prayers because I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know God. Guys, I was not raised in church for 34 years of my life. I never went to church ever, not one time. And there was a day that someone asked me a question. They said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'll go to heaven? Are you a child of God? And my thought was, I believe in God. But guess what? I was not his child. Because believing in God is not the answer. It's trusting the Lord as our Savior. Understanding that Jesus loves us right where we are. In our broken condition. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how sad we may be, how separated we may be, God loves us. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He looked from the cross with love in his eyes, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You and I are separated from God because of our sin. We're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has the same problem. No one's above anyone else. No one's worse than anybody else. But bottom line is, the Lord died for each one of us, and he gives us a way through faith in him to receive that gift. And if you're here today and you've never received that gift, and you say, you know, if I die today, I hope I go to heaven, but I don't know. Bottom line is the Bible promises us that we can know for sure. But let me promise you this. I can promise you there will be a day when you will take your last breath. And in that moment, you'll either open your eyes in the presence of God or you'll open your eyes in torments, being separated from him forever. He loves you right where you are and he's ready to forgive, to restore, and to save you. If you're online, if you're in the overflow, wherever you are, Bottom line is you can make a choice to receive that gift right now. It's not a matter of a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing like that. It's your heart with God's. As he calls out to you, all you need to do is respond. Be willing to receive the gift of God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to receive that gift today, I'm going to let you pray in your seat. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it's not the words of the prayer. It's your heart. You'll know right now in your heart if you want to receive Christ and you're sincere, and you're ready, you'll know it. If you do it as a ceremony or you just say the prayer, you may as well just keep your mouth shut. Don't pray. Because if you're not sincere, it will do nothing for you. But if you truly want Christ to receive you, he will save you right in your seat. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind and speak to God directly. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for all that I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for being buried and then resurrected on the third day, proving you were God. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for working in my heart. Thank you for calling me today. And thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.